You tuned in to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. In the headlines, Rwanda seeks an explanation from Britain about the arrest of its intelligence chief, Karanzi Karake. A panel is established to review the United Nations' response to child sexual abuse allegations, and UNICEF puts world's poorest children at the heart of new development goals. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Rwanda seeking an explanation from Britain about the arrest of its intelligence chief Karanzi Karake at the request of Spain. Karake is wanted on war crime charges in Spain. He was arrested at London, London's Heathrow Airport on Saturday. Remarks published by the New Times newspaper on its website says Rwanda is seeking an explanation from the UK on the matter. In 2008, a Spanish high court judge accused 40 Rwandan military and political leaders, including Karage, of engaging in reprisal killings after the country's 1994 genocide. The judge indicted the officials for genocide crimes against humanity and terrorism, which resulted in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of civilians, including Spaniards. Two hostages kidnapped by al-Qaeda militants in Mali more than three years ago have asked their governments to help secure their release in a video. The two men from Sweden and South Africa were seized in Timbuktu in November 2011. A German man with them was shot dead during their capture while a Dutch hostage was discovered by chance and freed during a raid by French commandos in April. Aquim, one of the jihadist groups that took control of Mali's vast north in 2012, claimed responsibility for the kidnappings. A panel has been established to investigate the UN's response to allegations of sexual exploitation and abuse of children by foreign military forces in the Central African Republic. While the troops were not under United Nations command, the panel will receive unrestricted access to all UN records and full access to staff and other personnel. The panel will begin work next month and aim to submit its report within 10 weeks. UN Chief Ban Ki-moon spokesperson Stefan Dujaric. The panel will review the United Nations' response to the allegations of sexual exploitation and abuse of children by foreign military forces not under the UN command and assess the adequacy of the procedures in place. This will include any allegations of abuse of authority or retaliation by senior officials. The panel will also look at any shortcomings in existing procedures covering serious crimes by United Nations and related personnel, host state forces and non-state actors that it may become aware of during the review. 
The United Nations Children's Agency, UNICEF, warns that despite global progress in the area of development, millions of children still live in poverty, suffer from chronic malnutrition and die before their fifth birthday. Its latest report, Progress for Children Beyond Averages, calls on the global community to focus more attention on the most disadvantaged children as it creates a new development roadmap for the next 15 years. UNICEF says the world's most disadvantaged children should be at the heart of the new sustainable development goals to be adopted by the UN General Assembly in September. UNICEF's Executive Director Anthony Lake. If the recent trends continue, we mean the current path of development and adding in uh, population growth, 68 million more children under five will die from mostly preventable causes by 2030. An estimated 119 million children will still be chronically malnourished. Half a billion people will still be defecating in the open, posing serious risks to children's and others' health. And it will take almost 100 years for all girls from sub-Saharan Africa's poorest families to complete only their lower secondary education. And finally, South Africa's Legal Resources Centre says it will review its security after Britain's Investigatory Powers Tribunal found that the UK government subjected its communications to unlawful interference. The centre says the ruling found there has been a breach of its rights in terms of Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights. The ruling says no use was made of the intercepted material and that the centre suffered no material damage or prejudice. However, the centre believes the mere fact that its communications were intercepted is of serious concern. Recapping the top stories, Rwanda seeks an explanation from Britain about the arrest of its intelligence chief. A panel is established to review the United Nations' response to child sexual abuse allegations and UNICEF's put the world's poorest children at the heart of a new development goals. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy, of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Uh, you are listening right here on uh, the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to southern Africa. 
Now, today we are right here looking at Sustainability Week, welcoming African Capital Cities Sustainability Forum. This is an event that is led by the city of Tswane, and uh, there's a high-level delegation that is coming from the continent really to converge and deliberate on the issues on how do we create African uh, cities that are sustainable. And uh, yes, as you as I've mentioned, that the theme is African Capital Cities Sustainability Forum. Now, today Today we're going to be looking at various opportunities to address the sustainability imperatives arising from the current uh, environment and also the numerous challenges that are facing African cities on a daily basis. Now we're right here at the forum itself, right here in Pretoria, at the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, right here at the ICC Centre in Pretoria. Now to really unpack this particular issue, we've got uh, a few guests in our panel today. We've got uh, Blessing uh, Manale, who is the spokesperson of the city of Tswane, and they are the uh, the ones that are actually conducting this particular forum today. We also have uh, uh, Melusi Lerlovu, who is from Sustainable Energy Africa. He's a project manager there. Also joining us on our panel today, we have Llewellyn van Veek, who is the senior researcher at the Center for Scientific and Industrial Research. So I'm going to start this conversation with you, uh, Mr. Manale, looking at this particular issue of the Sustainability Week, looking at this uh, forum. Tell us how it came about and why it's so significant. Well, the, the city of Tswane has been attempting to lead a national sustainable development agenda, but also a regional and a continental agenda to bring local government abreast with the current challenges uh, facing developing countries on sustainability issues. And um, in the build-up to a bigger conference in Johannesburg of all African uh, cities, not only on sustainability, we thought that the environment and sustainability issues should actually be precursor to that conference. Yeah. And we thought that uh, as we complete what is generally known as Environment Month, uh, leading from June 5 World Environment Day, we should host this conference. And uh, the mayor then called on African peers and said, let's come and talk. But I think importantly it was influenced by the fact that in September we would go back to the United Nations General Assembly and say, what else since uh, the, the United Nations Millennium Declaration on, uh, on, on the Millennium Development Goals? And, and we think that local government must be ready to move beyond the MDGs and start speaking about Sustainable Development Goals. And that's what we are offering the space for. Mm. Now, staying with you, uh, Mr. Manale, it's because it's important to look at these issues, especially looking at the 2063 mandate by the African Union. We know that is uh, very much uh, central to the conversations of what's happening on the African continent. And we know that the African Union Chair is here today, Nkosazana uh, Zamini Zuma, is here also being part of the delegates in this particular conference. Why is there a need to look at African cities and sustainability? Why is that such an important topic right now on the continent? Well, as, as you've correctly said, in terms of uh, uh, Vision uh, 2063 from the African uh, uh, Union, one of the key issues that has come out has been um, inclusive growth. Um, and, and we believe that without sustainable development, there can be no inclusive growth. But I think that it's important because African capital cities are facing issues that European or developed uh, cities had faced a um, long time ago. I mean, we're facing challenges of um, urban transport, of urban sprawl, of densification in cities. But it's only now that we're investing in long-term infrastructure, whether it's in, in the tourism, roads, rail, uh, ports of entry. And uh, the unfortunate part is that one of the of the 
biggest impacts of sustainable development is energy and you know with growth comes a lot of uh, appetite for energy and that's why for us as African cities the issue of development, infrastructure growth and economic prosperity is clearly linked with uh, how we consume the natural resources and that's why it's uh, we cannot speak of African growth and not speak of African sustainability. Well I want to just stick to that phrase sustainability what does it actually mean? Let me move to you Llewellyn Fanfeik, Senior Research at the Center for Scientific and Industrial Research Now when you look at the continent when you speak about sustainability it's a very very complex word when you look at the continent when you look at the issue of migration people are migrating more and more into urban areas there's a sense of overpopulation in in, in most of the African cities so when we're referring to sustainability on the continent of Africa what are we actually talking about yeah as you say sustainability is a very contested word Mm. actually Um, it's become a catch-all for all sorts of concepts and so in the process it gets watered down. Uh, The sustainability notion essentially is the ability to continue and the presumption is that you can continue forever which clearly is not the history of this planet shows that that has not happened. But what I think is new is this notion of resilience and that you in fact do not get sustainability unless you are resilient. And I, in many ways, think that the resilience concept Mm. is the key that's going to unlock our understanding of sustainability. Mm. So we start to talk more about resilience, and that addresses those issues you were talking about. My colleague was talking about energy. You can look at all the resources, water. I'm doing uh, some research on water and makes Mm. the energy challenge look like a fairy tale. Mm. So uh, how do we manage to cope with a world which is increasingly being burdened by population, urbanization, globalization, demand for resources and all those things, and in that process also being uh, hammered by climate change impacts? Uh, And I think that's very real for Africa. Unfortunately, by some quirk of nature, this continent is probably going to be the hardest hit in terms of climate change. So our ability to withstand those impacts, to manage those impacts, to progress through those impacts is going to be crucial for this continent next hundred years. Melusi, let me look at the issue of uh, sustainability, continuing what uh, uh, was highlighted by Llewellyn there, highlighting the issue that uh, we need to actually move into a dimension where we sp- we're speaking about survival mechanisms, how we can actually ensure that we actually are resilient. That was the word Llewellyn used in terms of dealing with some of the challenges. But what are those challenges right now when it comes to municipalities and cities in terms of the energy issue and also just looking at how we manage our cities? Yeah, uh, I like what Llewellyn spoke about, uh, that is looking at water, and uh, with, for me in our organization we mainly look at energy, mm. but this whole thing is all about uh, resource efficiency, mm. just to ensure that, uh, to, to, to ensure resiliency and adaptation to, to climate uh, disruptions in future. However, if you look at it um, from a municipal point of view, as uh, Mr. Manale mentioned, uh, Municipalities are well placed to lead a um, national government in terms of driving the transition to a sustainable future. Because if you look at it, um, most of municipal mandates, be it on uh, urban planning, um, uh, urban planning uh, provision of other services, those mainly have got an impact on in terms of uh, natural resource usage. And uh, however, if you look at it, municipalities are sort of um, constrained in terms of uh, not only human capital but also financial capital. Because some of these mandates, once you, you bring in energy uh, transitions, for example, you look at it, 
uh, if you speak to municipalities across Africa, some of them, they mention that these are unfunded mandates. However, you have got a question of making it visible. You have got a question of, for me, for me coming from the energy sector, the area we work in is making energy visible in all municipal functions. What do you mean by that? Uh, if you look at uh, any municipal function, be it housing provision for the, unfortunately for the poor people, if you deliver houses that are not energy efficient, you are locking those people into 50 years of um, energy inefficiency. Mm-hmm. And if you look at cities, cities are the are major energy consumers uh, within a country. Like uh, in Africa, uh, I mean in South Africa, you can uh, look at the big metros. Energy consumption happens in the 45% of energy consumption is concentrated in those urban nodes. However, they only occupy 4% of the, of the surface area of the country. So there is a need to focus on driving change in those, um, in those, cities, uh, in those cities that are fast urbanizing. The other interesting thing is if you look at Africa's urbanization, it's different from Asian or European uh, urbanization because in those countries their urbanization was also in lockstep with industrialization and economic growth but ours is very different we haven't been growing our cities are growing very fast but in terms of economic growth we are not growing at that level so we have got um, a situation whereby most of the people who move into the urban areas are locked into informal settlements yeah so uh, to expand on Llewellyn's point about uh, sustainability while it's uh, from, uh, you might hear from the energy uh, perspective, people talk about the technological interventions for, to drive um, lower carbon transition. Mm-hmm. However, we need to expand uh, that, that topic, I mean the subject, to look at how do we make sure that people have access to energy. Mm-hmm. Not only energy in terms of uh, your kilowatt hours. However, the question is about the energy services. Okay. You need that energy to cook. You need that, um, I mean, uh, for your water, water for bathing, it's, uh, it's a provision uh, it's, uh, from energy. Well, Lerlin, you, you wanted to raise a point. Yeah, I, I, I want to concur completely with my colleague. The, you know, the debate at the climate change conferences, and Paris is coming up at the end of the year, has been this um, uh, kind of demand on developing countries to, in a way, surrender some of their growth um, uh, as an offset mechanism. Okay. And developing countries have said, but hang on, guys, you know, you've gone through this wonderful expansion uh, and, uh, and now you're denying us a similar route to economic uh, equity. Hmm. But here's the crunch for Africa. It's a continent with enormous backlogs. It's a continent of backlogs. Yes. But it's a continent of resources. Hmm. And so the choice we face is a very simple one. Do we replicate the development paradigms that have been employed thus far and land up in the same scenario 100, 200 years down the, uh, down the line? Or do we choose a different paradigm? Do we choose a different development path? A different development path doesn't mean that you sacrifice economic growth. It doesn't mean that you sacrifice education, water reticulation. It means that you do it differently. And African leaders need to understand that the choice is not between you can have it or you don't have it. It's how do you have it. And I think what's critical about this week is that this conference begins to articulate different pathways to that growth. Well, we're going to take a quick break and look at that particular dimension. How do we accelerate that particular process? But I think the big word as well is what uh, was highlighted by uh, Melusile is the issue of access. Because for that, we have to have people-centric mechanisms to ensure that there's actually 
proper access to all these things that we're talking about, access to right amounts of electricity, water, as you highlighted earlier, transport. And I know that the city of Tuana just introduced uh, a RIA via bus transport system, uh, kind of with a different name, just yeah, to... And, what, a dif- and a different green, green standard. <laughs> green standard. So we'll talk about creating that access, especially linking... Uh, on my way here, I, I thought of about how the infrastructure of South Africa is and the history of the continent, whereby cities are far away from previously disadvantaged areas. How do we create access into cities as well, whereby there's access to information, where there's access to employment and issues like that. But you are listening to African Dialogue. Thank you for listening to us right here on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. If you're listening to us on the DSTV Bouquet channel, it's on channel 9 too. Hey, what's your view on this conversation we're having? Let us know what you think by SMSs. Do you think that our cities are benefiting people on the ground? Do you think there's enough things that are happening in our cities by governments that are enabling uh, me and you as ordinary citizens of the continent to have access to basic things like electricity, like water, like food? What are your views? Let us know. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's plus two seven seven nine six nine five Five seven nine three zero. If you SMSing us from uh, South Africa, it's oh seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Let's go back to our Johannesburg studios and take a quick break. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views, and great African entertainment. Bonjour à tous. Merci encore une fois d'être sur Channel Africa. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa, if you're listening to us on shortwave, that is. And if you're listening to us on our DSTV bouquet, that's Channel 92. Channel 92, thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. Thank you as well if you're streaming us live on our website on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. Today it's exciting. There's uh, delegates behind us having tea. It's lunchtime right now, right here at uh, the African Capital Cities Sustainability Forum, which is led by the city of Tswane, with a high-level delegation. I was just told by my colleagues when I walked in that uh, uh, the chair of uh, the African Union Commission was here and still here, part of the delegation, uh, Dr. Nkosazana Zamini Zuma, and I know that she is pushing that issue of the Agenda 2063 since she's been here in South Africa, especially following after that uh, African Union summit that we come from. But uh, uh, we're looking at this issue of sustainability. What does it mean for African cities on our program today? Can we reimagine African cities or are we a bit behind and is it too late for us to start fixing things in our African cities? But I want to come back to you, Blessing Manali, the spokesperson of the city of Tswane, looking at the issue of access, especially when you look at the landscape of the history of South Africa. We come from 
an apartheid system whereby, you know, areas were designated and we still see that landscape is still there in terms of that division of excess. And we know townships or previously disadvantaged areas are very far away from the cities. I mean, when you look at uh, Tswane in itself in the landscape, that still affects the city. What are we doing right now to create that excess, to make sure that the people from previously advantaged areas have access into the cities and the main commercial hubs? Well, well, indeed, as the city of Tswane, we've started saying that we need to reconfigure the city. We need to reconfigure the space outlook of the city. And that would not only mean the physical space. We don't believe that cities like Tswane should only have one inner core. And, and in Tswane, we've started speaking of what you call the northern capital, the eastern capital, uh, the southern capital, and the core, which would be the CBD, uh, the, 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 the city border in Limpopo, as well as the east, which is Kangala, Brokong, Spread. But we're also beginning to say that access is about people not having to move to the CBD to get city services. Okay. And, and for us, it has meant 150 million rand investment in free Wi-Fi. We're a youthful city, and we think that in as much as my grandmother might look for clean water, my younger brother might be looking for free Wi-Fi as a student mm-hmm. and with a 60% youth population. For us, that's uh, access to the city. So in a, and, but also we started looking into energy and saying that energy for us is not electricity. Energy for us is gas. Energy for us is solar. Energy for us is uh, sustainably harvested biomass so that you are able to then give people a suit of energy service in such a way that uh, they are diversified. And unfortunately, in South Africa, you've got a, a basic energy policy, but actually it's basic electricity. So if I'm outside of the electricity, government does not give me nine kilograms of uh, LPG for free, mm-hmm. but it's still giving someone 200 rand worth of electricity for free. So you'd understand that uh, you'd need government policy to address energy needs to and maybe then we'll start moving forward. If I want to go for a greenhouse, I think that my government should be able to pay for me for a 10,000 rand solar panel if it's giving somebody 10,000 rand of free electricity a year. And I think that that thing has not come into being. And half of the time, it's bureaucracy and technicians not wanting to think outside of the bureaucratic system. It's not because there's no political way, and that takes time and time and time. But lastly, before I give over to just some of my panelists, I think that for for the chairwoman of the African Union to be at the helm of this would actually help um, a lot of cities. Remember, she chaired the World Summit on Sustainable Development when it came in South Africa in 2002, um, and she was part of the follow-up to the Rio Summit in uh, two years ago. So she actually believes in, in sustainable development. I think that Africa has got a better chance. Well, you've got a woman understanding the gender element of sustainable development, but also the multilateral elements of of, of, of what people are beginning to call um, mm. growth without consuming more, without being the big bad wolf. Mm. Your views there, Melusine, in terms of creating that excess, especially for previously disadvantaged areas on the continent, we know that South Africa has a history of apartheid. You know, the rest of the continent also had a history of colonialism that separated um, uh, access to facilities, to programs, to information. How do we reimagine that space, especially when it comes to energy? Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that um, African cities find in, uh, themselves in this situation whereby people are not only separated by color, but uh, by sp- space as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at it, um, the distance from uh, 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 the CPT, Pretoria CPT to Mamelodi, it's over 42 kilometers. So it, it's, it's a bit difficult to imagine uh, that person seeing themselves, uh, people living in Mamelodi, seeing themselves as part of um, 
uh, Pretoria. Mm. Because look at it, the distances they have to travel in between the, the city and their homes. And it's unfortunate that uh, you find a situation whereby people have to get up very early in the morning at 4 a.m. And imagine uh, during this time in winter, you spend two hours on the road to get to work in the CPT, another two hours after work. That's another form of human energy being wasted. Yeah. Human resources <laughs> being wasted. Being wasted. Yeah. Yeah. It, so what we have is uh, to try to address uh, the special form of, um, of our cities. Because uh, from an energy point of view, if you look at um, the urban sprawl that we inherited from the upper third past, is uh, energy consumption is very high in, in our cities. And if you look at it, it's mainly within the transport sector. And the unfortunate part is um, those poor people living at the edges of the city, they have to pay quite a lot of money to get to, to work. You find they, they pay more than 30% of their income yes, to cover transport. And on top of that, you have to pay school fees, you have to, to buy food and so on. So uh, since '94, uh, development within the cities hasn't managed to address the special form. And uh, partly it has to do with um, that uh, the cheapest land that municipalities or government could access was land uh, further out of the city mm-hmm. because it was cheaper and it was easy to get it processed through through your town planning uh, uh, approval processes compared to to land within the this towards uh, closer to the city mm-hmm. and the other thing is land closer to the city some of it is in private hands mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, it's very difficult to to say you can't take it away mm-hmm. but it's very expensive land of which uh, for 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 social housing programs, it becomes very difficult to bring people t- uh, towards the city. But we find that the Department of Human Settlements, the National Department, is now looking into that and saying, how do we develop uh, sustainable communities? Let's try to uh, put people closer to uh, places, uh, I mean, op- uh, uh, locations closer to opportunities of economic activity. So those are uh, things that are, are currently being done. And uh, it's quite commendable that um, as City of Tswana is doing, you have got some people within the municipality, the city, who are driving, who are championing this transition. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, if you look at the city of Tswane, they now have got a sustainability unit. And there are quite a few municipalities, uh, I'm looking at South Africa, yeah. uh, we have got um, such offices like the energy office or the sustainability unit that is actively looking at uh, building a sustainable future for the city. And it's even now, uh, if you go into other African countries, energy or sustainability isn't uh, really going to the uh, it hasn't been uh, taken up by municipalities per se. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, well, let me take you to you, Llewellyn, in terms of uh, from that particular aspect of reimagining cities, reimagining the connections from rural spaces into the cities, from previously advantaged areas into the cities. How do we create that landscape where we can actually reimagine this landscape? Because there are many possibilities in this. No, there are, and some of them are being tried. And it's a disappointment, actually, that, that we failed uh, in this exercise over the last 21 years. Um, because what we've done is we've continued to build outlying suburbs. Mm. And, it's, and it's across the all economic groups for poor people and middle-income and wealthy people. Uh, and uh, and as has been stated, it's predicated on transportation. It's predicated that you move people. Mm. It's very difficult to move jobs. But it is possible to decentralize government. And so really what we should have been looking at is building either new cities or new villages, probably new villages. Our population is not yet at the stage where we need to build new cities. Mm. We're not China. But we should have built new villages. And that means that you build communities. We have access to all the range of, of opportunities that you would find typically in a village. And we know those patterns. We've got fantastic village development patterns in this country. 
that, that we've inherited. Um, the, the missing component here uh, is a far, far more concerning one. Um, what we've seen over the last probably 40, 50 years is the twin impacts of globalization and urbanization disorientating people and disenfranchising them. Mm. This young nutcase in the States that went into the church and mm. shot nine guys, mm. that's anger. Uh, and his anger was vented in a very particular way because of his because of his attitudes. Mm. But it's 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 indicative of what's happening at, across the world is this feeling of exclusion from society. Tracy Chapman's song, "Your Fast Car." Mm. I want to be someone, <laughs> be someone, be someone. And so the individual is trying to make sense of an environment that he or she feels mm. is ignoring them where their voice is not being heard. And the one thing we have to get right in South Africa is to create inclusive cities. Yes, inclusive in terms of transport. Yes, inclusive in terms of access to services and, and, and electricity. But inclusive that I feel that in this city, it's my city, I'm able to express myself. I can be there. And, and celebrate my humanity in the city are not excluded. A, a, a wonderful example is the waterfront down in Cape Town. You can have five cents in your pocket. There's even a free bus to take you to the waterfront. You can spend the entire day there. You don't have to spend a cent. No one's going to move you. You can walk around. You can see the, the shows, watch the boats. You can do everything that anybody else can do for free. And we need to replicate that in the cities, where the cities are a place where I feel I can identify, I can sit there, I can enjoy it. I am somebody. Well, we're going to take a quick break and uh, very interesting dynamics that we are exploring in this particular conversation. And it comes back to the issue of humans, that person, people, and kind of governance. Right here at the African Capital City Sustainability Forum. And if you're just wondering who we're speaking to, uh, we have uh, Blessing Manale, who is the spokesperson of the city of Tswane. We also have the senior researcher at the Center for Scientific and Industrial Research, Llewellyn van Veik. And uh, Melusilen Lovu joins us. He's the project manager of Sustainable Energy Africa. We're going to take a quick break and then uh, we'll actually get back and wrap up this conversation. And when we come back, I really want to look at the that particular theme. How do we actually create uniform standards? I mean, coming into the city of Tswane, it's impressive. It's a clean city. Uh, there's a lot of positive things to see in the city of Tswane. It's got a great logo that's very, very much changed over a period of time. The city of Tswane has changed its name, and uh, actually people were kind of like, oh no, what happened to Pretoria? What happened to Pretoria? But it had, it had an ability to kind of consolidate that name Identif- now we identify the city of Tswane as the city of Tswane. It's got a brilliant logos that I don't know if any municipality has such a clear, defined, clean identity as the city of Tswane. Uh, maybe it's because it houses uh, the, the, the fact that it houses uh, our, uh, our, our governance here in, in, in South Africa. There's a lot of uh, government offices in uh, Pretoria. So we'll speak about those issues as we wrap up the conversation.
would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine oh five or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical One. Or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We are broadcasting right here at the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, ICC Center in Pretoria. Uh, we're looking at the issue of uh, the African Capital Cities Forum, which takes place during Sustainability Week right here in uh, Tswane. And uh, uh, just before our break, I was speaking about that particular issue of the fact that Tswane has been able to kind of redefine itself post-1994. Probably one of those good examples of how a city can have a new identity, represent a new era in a new time for a particular country. And uh, coming to you, Blessing, I mean, looking at your logo, looking at the stance that uh, Twane has taken in the city center, it's very clean compared to Johannesburg. It's just a good example in terms of what's happening in Gauteng. I know Cape Town as well has a certain ethos in terms of how it administers itself, its sense of uh, uh, cleanliness and how it looks. Uh, how do you think were the breaking, uh, groundbreaking uh, mechanisms that were used by uh, this municipality to change the way it looks to actually create a new way uh, of thinking and being? Well, um, we firstly have to acknowledge that for us, the brand is not what people see. For us, uh, the brand of a city or of a city space is what people feel, what people touch, what people enjoy. Mm. And therefore, we had to go to the values first. So the brand came in um, automatically. We said the city of Tani should be livable, should be inclusive, and should be a city where people enjoy the highest quality of life. And that was our brand architecture. And then we then went out and said, what does livable mean? What does inclusive mean? And, and we started saying that it means that people should have access to government. They should have access to basic services. They should contribute to the, to the running of the city and we came with the notion of an active citizenry and for us we said a citizen is not a rate payer a citizen is the student at the University of Pretoria from Ghana a citizen is the ambassador of Gabon staying here mm. a citizen is the president when he does his business in, 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 in Johannesburg I mean in, in Pretoria and a citizen is blessing Manali who wakes up every day and goes to the mayor's office and therefore what do they need and that's basically what we've driven the brand we've said that come to Pretoria and ours is just to ignite elephants what doing more than just the ordinary mm. so if fish swim we fly mm. as fish and, that, and that's basically what has told us we have said we are higher than the ordinary and that's that's our brand mm. that's why we want to lead sustainability we want to lead environmental protection we want to lead social inclusivity and we're beginning to say that uh, let's find a way of resourcing the city beyond rates and taxes mm. let's look into off the balance sheet let's look into efficiencies in energy efficiencies in government and therefore our brand it's actually if i can 
one call it the microcosm of sustainability beyond the academic uh, catch uh, uh, phrases. Hey, Melusila, are we being too optimistic here about uh, the city of Tswane? Am I celebrating it a bit too much here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I won't comment on that since Mr. Manamela is next. Uh, is here. Okay, you know, what, what I would say is... Um, it's great to see that uh, the city has developed a vision. They now know where they, they want to, the end state that they want to reach. But uh, as Llewellyn was saying, it's all about uh, having an, creating that inclusivity, making sure that people have access to the city. And uh, maybe if I can pick up on the AU uh, vision 2063, it's great that for the first time, local government uh, authorities are being uh, recognized in the African Union. And if you look at the African Development Bank and uh, the World UN Habitat and uh, the Cities Alliance, they all agree that uh, municipalities, the cities, should lead this uh, uh, transition. So it's all up to municipalities to define what they want to, uh, how they, they go ahead in, in terms of their planning. But what I will caution uh, people to look into is uh, we mustn't think of this uh, in terms of technological solutions only. Uh, we need to look at the soft aspects of it, the social um, feel, whether you feel that you belong and you have got access to, um, to, to services, not only services, also that people are listening to you. Yeah. Yeah, I also think that's very interesting because uh, I was driving, I, I live in a township just not so far away from me in Timbisa, and, and there's kind of these little municipality buildings that are built in different parts of the township. But I'm not quite sure what's happening in those, in those buildings. They're there, and they look interesting, but they're high-walled, they're very, very, like, intimidating. Uh, and, and it's great to have those buildings there, but you kind of not know what's happening there. Must I walk in there and ask what's happening there? Uh, how do we create that better access. I mean, looking at the city of, of Tuane, looking at uh, areas like Cape Town, yes, they're beautiful cities. They're great in their landscape and they're clean and great cities in themselves. But uh, some cities are very intimidating, aren't they, Llewellyn? Yeah, and I think we need to keep on keep in mind what's the end game. Yeah. Um, yes, you want electricity, yes, you want water, you want transport, you know, all of those things. But, but why? What's the end game? Yeah, the end game around sustainability is that we actually want a future for our kids. Mm. Mm. And so the decisions we make now mustn't impede them yeah. from their futures. But it's not just about a future, because the kids in Syria have a future. It's a miserable future. Mm. Mm. So we're also looking at quality of life. And given South Africa's disparities, we're looking at, uh, at its social equity. Mm. Um, and I think what needs to pull all of that around is the development of, of social cohesion, a, a compact. I would say that what we need to do over the next 21 years is to actually focus on the things that unite us as, as people, as humanity, mm. as fathers, as mothers, as brothers, as sisters, as families, communities. And that message applies to Tswane, applies to Gauteng, applies to South Africa, applies to Africa. Mm. Because the end goal remains the same. Mm. Well, we're going to wrap it up. And I just want to uh, just wrap it up in, in a quick way. In terms of a moving forward, Blessing, how do we move forward to create more sustainable cities? Just in 30 seconds, what are the main keys? I think the main thing is collaboration, partnerships, and political will. But as, as, as all the panelists have said, you've got to do it for three intentions, for people, for planet, and for prosperity, and for nothing else. If we cannot put those things together in one pot, people, planet, prosperity, then you'd achieve one 
element of sustainable development, which means there is no sustainable development. Mm. Your views there, Melusilin, just uh, 30 seconds. I would have to agree with blessing. The thing is that uh, we need uh, that political will, capacity building within municipalities, making sure that people have got an understanding of how sustainability can be driven. And also the financing of it mm. is also important as well. Really? Your yeah, views I'd, uh, I'd agree with uh, all of that. On. I'm sure you've got a different <laughs> well, stance there. Well, a different one I would put in it <laughs> is I think we need to continue to be brave. Mm. We were incredibly brave in what we did in this country. Mm. And we lost that braveness. Mm. We're now mimicking mm. development paradigms from other parts of the world, which are not great ones to mimic, I want to so, tell you. Yeah. <laughs> we need to find that braveness again. And, and pursue the solutions we have inherent in us in our history mm. uh, to, uh, to find that development pathway that will lead us to that end game we want. Well, that's a great way to end it. What are your views in terms of uh, are we creating cities where we have access, access to food, access to water, access to electricity? Are we being effective? Are cities reaching us, me and you, ordinary people? Let us know your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven zero seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's if you're outside the uh, South Africa. If you SMSing us from South Africa, it's zero seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. But uh, hey, we want to hear from you, so do let us know. You can also find us on Facebook on Channel Africa page or tweet us at Channel Africa One. It's the numeric one at Channel Africa One. I want to thank our guests. Thank you to Blessing Manale, who's the spokesperson of the city of Tswane. Thank you to Llewellyn van Veek, the senior researcher at the Center for Scientific and Industrial Research. And finally, I want to thank Melusi Lendlovu, who is the project manager at Sustainable Energy Africa. Now it's uh, 11.45. Let's go back to our studios in Johannesburg, and we're going to have our econ news, and we'll have our sports from us here from the uh, center right here at uh, the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research in Pretoria. Until tomorrow, God bless. Good morning. In economics, South Africa's power utility has lowered its tariff hike request to 9.5% from 12.7%. ESCOM's acting CEO Brian Mulefe was speaking in Johannesburg at a public hearing held by the National Energy Regulator of South Africa. They are discussing the power utility's latest tariff increase request. What we're asking for is 6.43% for OCGTs and a further 3.15% for STPPPs to deal with the issue of road shedding and maintenance. And that is the additional 9.58% that we're asking for. Nigeria's newly elected president, Mohamedou Buhari, has been advised by his transition committee to end a fuel subsidy program and privatize Nigeria's four refineries. Africa's top oil producer and biggest economy heavily subsidizes gasoline and relies on imports for the bulk of its domestic demand due to an underperforming refining system. The subsidy, which was revealed to have paid about than more than $6 billion in fraudulent claims in 2012 is proving to be increasingly costly. Tanzania-focused gold miner Acacia 
has warned that a weaker shilling could hit its second quarter earnings by reducing the U.S. dollar value of the taxes it is owed. The outstanding Tanzanian shilling-denominated tax balance owed to the company was worth approximately $124 million at the beginning of the second quarter. Since then, the shilling has weakened against the dollar and the tax balance has to be converted into dollars for reporting purposes. Acacia will report its half-year results on July 27. Lack of rain threatens to prevent Mali from reaching its cotton production target of 650,000 tons in the 2015-2016 season. The West African country produced roughly 550,000 tons of raw cotton fiber in the 2014-2015 season, well above the 400,000 tons produced the previous year. Mali's cotton season runs from April and includes a growing phase from around May to October and a harvesting and sales period from roughly November to March. Overseas, stock markets have surged in the Far East amid signs that a deal to prevent Greece defaulting on its debts may be close at hand. The Greek government has outlined further austerity measures to appease its creditors. German Chancellor Angela Merkel says work is needed to study the proposals. Jack Parrock reports from Brussels. Their body language was relaxed and friendly, but as Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras and the European Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker meet the other leaders of the Eurozone nation, the stakes couldn't be higher. Looking at your financial indicators, one U.S. dollar will cost you 12.13 U.S. dollars at 9.69 Botswana Pula and at 7.34 Zambian Kwacha. It's also trading at 0.64 to the British pound and at 0.89 to the euro. And commodities, gold is trading at $1,186. Platinum is at $1,066 an ounce. Finally, the price of Brent crude oil is at $63.13 a barrel. That's your economics news here on Channel Africa. I am Asanda Mazzaunyani. In our sports update this hour, I'm Figele Lingwati. We're starting off with football news. First Caribbean International Bank has begun an internal review to find out whether or not it was used for illicit purposes in the FIFA bribery scandal. An indictment announced by U.S. prosecutors on the 27th of May says one illegal payment was facilitated by a representative of First Caribbean, which is controlled by Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. The prosecutors say the bank representative traveled from the Bahamas to New York to personally collect and deposit a check on behalf of Chuck Blazer, a former FIFA executive who is the main cooperating witness in the investigation of Soccer's well-governing body. CIBC First Caribbean spokeswoman Deborah King says from Bridgetown, Barbados, that the bank has not been contacted by any law enforcement agency about the FIFA investigation. And in local football, South African Premiership side and the champions Kaiser Chiefs have officially announced their new signings of Sianda Tulu, Bongani Ndulula, Kamaldina Bro, Daniel Cardoso and Keegan Ritchie. Tulu was previously playing his trade at the Russian side FC Rostov.
Lucky Baloy, who was on loan at Morocco Swallows, also returns to the Soweto Giants. Meanwhile, Sponsen Gobo and Andy Silenzila have been promoted from the development structures. It was also revealed that Matthew Rusike is closing in on a move to an named team in Portugal. Chiefs also revealed that Ugandan attacking midfielder Sula Matovu is on trial at a club. And on to cycling news, the MTN Kubega principal rider, Douglas Rider, says the team is adjusting well in their camp in Luca, Italy, ahead of the historical participation in the Tour de France. Ryder says the camp has been strategically chosen for them to be in one place and train together and prepare for the time trial. MTM Kubega principal rider Douglas Ryder explains. We as a team, we created our European headquarters, I guess, and in cycling it's called a service course, which is where you house all of your equipment, your vehicles, and, and some of your staff. And, and we chose Luca, which is in Tuscany in Italy. It's about 20 kilometers from Pisa and 50 kilometers from Florence. It's the mo- one of the most beautiful places um, for training. The weather is warmer than Central Europe. It's a bit further south than Central Europe. And then, and we have our riders have a, you know, they have their homes and apartments there. We've got about 13 riders living in Luca and um, our coaches and, uh, and quite a few mechanics and management live around Luca. And so that's kind of where the, it's kind of a kitchen of a house where everything happens, all the logistics get planned, all the bikes get serviced and all the vehicles get looked after. And on to my marathon, former marathon world record holder Kenya's Wilson Kipsang says he feels sympathy for the Olympic champion Mo Farah, having seen his own reputation damaged by news of a missed drug test being made public. It has been revealed that the double Olympic champion missed two drug tests, one in early 2010 and one in February 2011. There's no suggestion that Farah's two missed tests prior to his Olympic times at London's 2012 implied any wrongdoing on the part of the runner. And Kipsang, who won bronze at the same games, leaped to his defense and says he has no doubt that Farah is a clean athlete. I feel sympathy on what Mofara is going through because if issues are coming out, which he himself knows that it's not true, then it hurts most because I really know that it has taken him a lot. It has costed him a lot of dedication, hard work, investment for him to be where he is now. Mo has been running various races. He has been winning Olympics, World Championships, various track meets, even running in the marathon, and he has been tested all through. But what I want to say is that the IWF and the doping agents, if they produce results that the athlete is clean, I really want to say that the whole world should trust the results. Finally, with cricket news, Bangladesh beat India by six wickets on the Duckworth-Lewis method to take an unassailable 2-0 lead in their one-day international series. Mustafuzar Rahman took six of 43 balls for Bangladesh as they bowled India out for 200 with opener Shika Dawan, top-scoring with 53 of 60 balls. This is what the president of the Bangladesh Cricket Association in the United Kingdom, Riaz Udin, had to say. Very much delighted to see Bangladesh actually completely outplayed India. And uh, because of that, Bangladesh did qualify for the Champions Trophy in England next year. And it's not a, not a fluke because Bangladesh is continuously playing good cricket from last year or so. If you look at the performance against England in the World Cup, against New Zealand in the World Cup, against uh, all other teams in the World Cup, and continuously the whitewash Pakistan in a three one the matches and now India 
the one two nil. So Bangladesh is playing their good cricket. It's, it's, it's not a one-off thing. They're a strong team. They are a combined team with their bowling, batting, fielding, and I think Bangladesh will do well in this next champion trophy. That's your sport news this hour.